Hello, this is Dr. Shiva. Welcome to our podcast, Get Educated or Be Enslaved. Episode 1382, air date December 19th, 2023. All right. Good evening, everyone. It's Dr. Shiva Adure. Uh, today, we have a very, very interesting discussion that's part of... Um, one of the things that we've been talking about for a long time about the environment, just to give you guys a heads up, and I'll bring Jim in shortly. Jim, I'll bring you in shortly. Let me just take everyone um, to what we've been talking about for you know for for many years. Um, but if people go to the Shiva for President um, website, one of the things you'll see is in the um, download section here, we talk about um, this fundamental issue that. Uh, those in power are basically killing our children, that the lifespan of the average child today in the United States is going to be less or is less than their parents. And this has been going on since 1980. It's not any one issue. It's not the, the vaccines. It's not just any one thing. And we need a systems overhaul. So we've been talking about that. And all of you can go to Shiva for President, download this flyer to educate your people that your child's lifespan is going to be shorter than yours. And then we discuss who the swarm is. Um, as a part of that, we've been doing every Thursday's um, uh, open town halls on healthcare, on environment, on education, on innovation, governance, and economy. And John, you may just want to put that up. Everyone's welcome to come there uh, to shivaforpresident.com slash town hall to participate in those um, town halls. But one of the things we focus on, on the environment, and we've been really educating people on why we need to support local farming to eat locally and healthy um, and how to do that on a budget. As a part of that discourse, um, we want to bring in one of our uh, guests here. Let me bring in Jim. Where's Jim? So we want to bring in Jim. Um, Jim is uh, Jim. You're out of Florida, right, Jim? Yes, Central Florida in St. Cloud, about 45 minutes from the Orlando International Airport. Yeah. So um, many, many years ago, Jim, I did a whole discussion. You know, we did some of the earliest work on genetically engineered food. Some some of the fundamental research showing at the systems level, how GE foods are not substantially equivalent to organic foods. The GE makers try to uh, put forward the idea that genetically engineered foods are the same. Um, and the entire goal of the GMO uh, centralized big ag movement has been to essentially put out small farmers and to essentially destroy the supply chain of food locally. Now, permaculture is what traditional systems of agriculture are all about. You know, you you integrated many, many local things. Like when I grew up in, in our village, Jim, my great-grandfather, you know, the the manure from the cows he would take into the into his um, you know, into the rice paddies, right? It was a common thing. And then you had all these subsystems, right? Um, animals, yeah. chickens, everything that worked together, and then you rotate a crop. So these are traditional systems of agriculture and we've lost them. So when I spoke to Mike and uh, I forget the other gentleman's name, um, Todd, he said, you know, you were uh, essentially recreating this with permaculture um, in Florida. So perhaps you should talk about that, Jim, and we can have a conversation. Absolutely. Thank you, Dr. Shiva. I'm going to start out by sharing with you what I shared with Bobby Kennedy about four weeks ago. I said, um, what has been shared with me through a lot of meditation, a lot of prayer, and a lot of obsession with the question, how do we bring peace on earth? How do we actually change the world? A campaign strategy has been shared with me that will not only win the election, whether it be the election that's controlled by the government is not the point, but the election by the people and it will create a new economy, a parallel economy better than the existing, completely ridiculous economy. And we won't even call it mind control anymore. We'll maybe call it, instead of governmente, we'll call it empowermente, right? It'll be based in voluntarism. And when Victor Hugo said, there's one thing stronger than all of the armies of the world, and that is an idea whose time has come, this is it. The idea is the opposite of government. It's enlightenment. It's awareness. Awareness, as you know, and as they you talk about, is key to transition. Because without awareness, there can be no key or there can be no transition. 
So what we are creating around the world is demonstration sites that demonstrate the power of nature or because I grew up in Minnesota, I call it God, right? This incredible wellspring of life. So we demonstrate God's design or nature and we also demonstrate non-compliance with tyranny on every conceivable level. We did not ask for permission to build these houses. This is my lifetime family home made of 3D printed steel, which is recycled. So our intent is to recycle the military industrial complex to inspire and empower mass adoption of simply using our resources wisely, taking out the poisons and using our resources wisely. And I'll get into the details on your show here. It's gonna be very exciting. Yeah, one thing you have to understand, Jim, is Booby Kennedy, as I call him, is not a friend of agriculture. He talks a big game. And I know that um, Todd said he came and did some photo ops, but you got to understand he endorsed Hillary Clinton, not once, not twice, three times. Okay. Who's pro Monsanto, pro glyphosate, et cetera. So people need to understand that I hope you're not promoting him because he's part of the problem because he uses people like you and others for photo opportunities. But at the end of the day, so I just want to make this clear because, you know, for me, this has been a lifelong journey because I grew up with my grandparents who were, you know, subsistence farmers. And these people talk a good game, but you cannot be saying you're supporting local farmers and taking pictures and then be endorsing Hillary Clinton three times. Um, I couldn't agree more. So, and, yeah. Yes. And, and it's, so a, my, it's, it, it's a framework that he's been doing. He goes yes. down to different people who are actually doing the work, gets photo ops with them when he just uses and exploits those people uses plagiarizes their stuff so i think this is important to understand because we live in it a world of deception um yes, we people do. know that the world is people are getting tired of these people and these yeah. people like the devil come in and make people think they are for agri you know real sustainable agriculture or real medical freedom any of those things but ultimately you find out that in, the, in his case he's a zionist he's a rabid zionist um he supported hillary clinton again uh, I remember in 20, uh, we did a movie called, uh, was it uh, called uh, um, Poisoning Paradise, okay? And he talked a good game, but he endorsed Hillary Clinton, okay? Yeah. Who brought in yeah. Monsanto's number one person to run the uh, his movement. So I just want to be clear that any type of credit to this guy is actually dangerous because he uses yes. this to manipulate people. So let's just sort of level set there. Yeah, and thank you, Dr. Shiva, for pointing that out. And I always go there. I am advocating one thing. I'm advocating the solution to all of the world's biggest problems, and including mass extinction and deforestation, cancer, diabetes, heart disease, world hunger, and tyranny. When we take out the fear and scarcity, then the people can no longer be controlled. So when I make public statements and put names in like that, what happens I've recognized is more people hear the message because as you've been talking about for a long time, this is not about government solving our problems. This is about the individuals and the families and the communities coming together to solve our problems. So that's, and, and I'm excited to share with you the tactics that we are employing. So when we, when some, when a politician, and I know that you're not a politician, but I'm just using that term. But when somebody with a platform says something like, I am going to reduce crime by 50% in the next four years, most people would say you're effing crazy. There's no way you could do that. And then the media is going to go out. And then here's the facts of the matter. When the inmates in our prison system who are mostly sick and they're fed poisonous foods and they're mentally and physically ill, when they grow their own food and learn <coughs> permaculture, the recidivism rates in programs that have already been proven to work goes down by more than 50%. It's epically powerful. And that's one campaign stop. So, and we've got prisons that we're connected with that want to put food for us in. And then now let's go to the schools, right? You go to the schools and imagine the claim, I am going to reverse the trend of childhood diabetes. I'm going to re reverse the trend of childhood suicide and depression and big pharma, poison drug use. 
and we are going to, we're going to turn every school into a permaculture paradise where the students not only learn the ethics of permaculture, but they also practice growing their own food. And boom, you just, and this has been done. So anyway, I can, I'll keep going with two more. If you want me to do it now or you want to interject, please do. Yeah, what I, I think will be good, Jim, is we, let's talk about the methodology so we can get a little bit jump in because a lot of our people already know some of the larger points we're making let's yeah. talk about this whole area of growing food locally the economics of that and what you have for me you know when you looked at traditional systems of agriculture they were already based on this before you know they were subjugated and manipulated right um yes and people in local uh, if you go to our, you know, a, a small village in South India, even today, right? You can see what's, I mean, India was 90, 90, 87% agriculture, right? Villages. Yeah. So if we just sort of go back to the 1600s, um, there was no, it's very interesting statistically, there was no landless uh, peasantry in India. Right. For that matter, there was no poverty in India, except for leper colonies. So I want everyone to understand the level set. And, and at that time, 98% of India was agrarian, small cellular villages. Um, there were close, you know, hundreds of thousands of villages which communicated among each other. And they were called village communities. Yeah. And in those village communities, it was essentially the permaculture model was embedded in there. Yeah. When colonialism took place, all those villages started getting wiped out. So today, the same farm my grandparents run used to run very small farm, you know, because yeah. they were consistent yeah. farmers. Um, some of those farms have been destroyed by leather factories upstream, yep. which have poisoned the water, you say, downstream. Yes. Um, yes. So this is happening globally, the concept of the small farmer attempting to do permaculture, you know, doing these things with, um, you know, when, when they crop, they would only pick certain vegetables at certain times of the day right? Yeah. Basil was yeah. picked at certain times of the, you know, they had all these very, very specific things. So I want to, first of all, recognize traditional systems of agriculture had figured all this out. And we're yeah. essentially trying to go full circle, but we're trying to do it in a world now where big ag is running everything and the intellectual property uh, uh, methodologies are being used to basically snuff out the small guys. Yep. So it, in that no context, doubt. Uh, Jim, maybe you can just first of all explain to people what is permaculture. Okay, permaculture yeah. starts with the ethics, the very simple ethics of earth care, people care, and fair share. But sharing is not done at the point of a gun. Sharing is a voluntary act. So that's what permaculture is all about. Earth care, people care, and reinvesting our surplus wisely. And I want to reiterate something you just said. Henry Kissinger, 50 years ago, as you know, this is all by design. Henry Kissinger said, if you want to control people, control food. That wasn't just the ramblings of a psychopath. That was the strategy spoken to the world about what their intentions are. So permaculture is literally the path to freedom. When we take the poisons out, and this is what I've been obsessed with now for 16, 17 years, is asking the question, how do we achieve mass adoption? because either we achieve mass adoption or we're done. And it'll start by doing exactly what we're demonstrating here. We've created, and by the way, 21 months ago, there was nothing here but sand. So we started intentionally with the worst possible conditions, Florida, sand. Now we have an epic food forest that has 240 different species of edible and medicinal plants and beehives and ducks and chickens and cows. And the key to this is this is less maintenance than a lawn. So a lawn takes quite a bit more maintenance than this food forest. Right now, I can walk outside my house any time of year. And, and the good news is this can happen in Minnesota, Alaska, Russia. It doesn't matter where we are in the world, the permaculture principles and ethics apply to every zone. We can turn deserts into green zones again. It takes more time, of course, but by applying these principles, we can do so. And you asked about the economies of scale, right? And this is something like, people say money doesn't grow on trees. Well, fiat doesn't grow on trees, but wealth 
grows on trees, right? You can count the seeds in one of these papayas, but you can't count the papayas in one of the seeds. It's infinite. Yeah, so, 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 so Jim, I have the yeah. quote from Henry Kissinger. I remember in the 1980s, I was reading this. He said, who controls, um, food supply controls the people, who controls energy can control whole continents and who controls money can control the world. But if yes. you want to control people, you control the food supply. Um, this is why the destruction that started taking place sort of 300 years with colonialism has progressed into even the imperial countries doing it to its own people. But yep. I think permaculture, I think there's the meta description. Um, let's get into sort of, no pun intended, a little more in the weeds. Yeah, um, love it. And, and describe permaculture, you know, from an agricultural system standpoint, you know, um, so people understand, um, Jim, on how you grow these things together. If you can get into the weeds in terms of the mechanics of how you have, you know, farm animals, how they do their own burrowing, you know, how they, if you can just, just assume you're talking to a two-year-old and just talk about permaculture from the little more at the one foot level, what happens literally on the ground in the soil. I love it. I want to talk about yeah. I, I will actually show you. So we're about yeah. demonstrating freedom. So this is a, we call this our permaculture pathway. This plant right here is called perennial peanut. And this not only creates a ground cover that's beautiful, and most of the year it has these beautiful yellow flowers that are edible, but it also is a nitrogen fixer. So in the, you know, permaculture is a design science. It's an agricultural design science. So we design the land and we put guilds together. A guild is a community of plants that support each other. So we've got the nitrogen fixers, We've got the beneficial insect attractors, the pollinator attractors. We've got the chop and drop plants like Mexican sunflower and, and many more that actually build soil and comfrey and many more. And then we've got the edible plants. So this is a guild. And again, with a guild, if we walked away from this system now and we came back in 30 years, and we didn't have a climactic event or we didn't have anybody come and poison it or chop it down. In 30 years, this system would literally expand hundreds of miles. So, so Jim, say, just, Jim, let me just take people. So in a guild, you have these different communities of plants, right? That yes. work together. Yes. So just yes. take us once again, just summarize what are those communities of plants? One is the nitrogen fixers, right? Like yeah. the peanut. Yep. The second yep. one is what? The beneficial insect attractors, like so flowers. The, right. So the things that attract insects. So one is fixing fixing nitrogen. Another yep. one is attracting the the uh, insects. Like, and what's yep. what's an example of that plant? The flower. Um, okay. So um, these, these flowers, all all the different flowering plants. <laughs> one of my favorites is the monarch, uh, the milkweed that attracts loads of monarchs. Yeah. Okay. But but so, diversity is the key to strength. Right. Right. Yeah. But 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 Jim, you have the nitrogen fixtures, the things, the flowering plants that attract the insects. What's the third one, Jim, as part of the guild? Um, and the and the food producing plants. So and then we also have the um, dynamic accumulators. So a dynamic accumulator is a plant like comfrey or moringa. We've got loads of moringa here and comfrey and those plants dig their root systems down and then they bring up the nutrients. They convert things to nutrient and beneficial nutrients that then can be used by the other plants. Right. So you have the, you have the nitrogen fixtures of flowering plants, the things that uh, provide nutrients to the other, other plant like moringa. And what's the yeah. fourth one, uh, Jim? Dynamic accumulators. Like, and what's an example of that, Jim? Comfrey, moringa, yeah. Yeah. Mexican sunflower. Right, so that's the third one, the dynamic accumulators and nitrogen fixtures of flowering. What's the fourth one? Wasn't there a fourth one? The, the, yeah, the food producers, the different the, food and medicine producers. Right, so that would be like the papaya, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. Okay, so what's interesting, Jim, is um, in India, um, the, the earliest memory I have is outside my grandparents. So maybe you can take people to look at what a moringa plant looks like. Can, can you walk over there? Yeah, there, there, there's moringa. So, so that's, a, by the way, Jim, a Tamil word, okay? Moringa. 
And yeah, so you can eat those leaves. Um, uh, very, very healthy. You know, they have for women, uh, even the World Health Organization said Moringa is basically the, the tree of life. That yeah. it can solve pretty much any problem, particularly for women. It has all the nutrients, it's got full profiles of every amino acid. Yeah. Um, the Moringa plant, I don't, do you have anyone with a fruit on it, Jim? They also have this very um, long fruit. Yes, we do. This, look yeah. at that loaded. Can you see yeah, that? So, yeah, so it's great. So everyone see that. So it's an amazing plant. Those fruits in um, uh, in India, uh, Jim, we take those and we make in, in a particular soup. And they're known for increasing testosterone, okay, in men. Um, so in Indian movies, yeah, there we go. And you, maybe you can, I don't know, I don't want you to hurt the plant if, if you're going to use it, Jim, but it has seeds in there, right? Jim can open it up. Yeah, there you go. And so you can make a really nice soup of that. If you go to a South Indian restaurant, you'll find that they make it. And in Indian movies, Jim, they would say if a husband and wife got married, or if the wife wanted to, you know, uh, make sure her husband took care of her at night, she would make him the Morungai soup, okay? Um, uh, which comes from that plant. So we call them drumsticks. The leaves yeah. you can slightly, you can eat raw or you can roast right? In yeah. a little bit of ghee. And it's very, very healthy for all sorts of things. But um, so basically, uh, Jim, you're saying there's these four particular gills in the plants, the food producing plants, the dynamic accumulators, the nitrogen fixers, and then the flowering. And, and once yeah. you put those together, they create their own ecosystem and they'll keep just growing by themselves. They'll create their own forest. That's exactly right. They'll keep getting more exponentially productive over time. And right. there's some magic that happens with nature. They're for Like in, in a lot of citrus, when they're ready to eat, you pick them and you eat them. And if you don't eat them, the plant will produce fewer oranges or citrus the next year. So there's some kind of magical divine interaction between these systems and the people who steward them. Yeah. Yeah, there's a whole book that was written by J.C. Bose called The Secret Life of Plants. Yes. If people haven't seen it, and the plants actually can feel when people come to them and communicate with them. But Moringa is an amazing plant, you know? It's yeah. one of the traditional plants. It, uh, the leaves are good. The fruits are good. It's just a very powerful plant. It also has arginine in it. Yeah. That, you know, um, the Russian athletes, Olympic athletes have been using Moringai for many, many years for, you know, anabolic effects versus yep. taking steroids and things like that. So, Jim, so those are the four, those are the four yep. pieces, right? Yeah. What else? Now go to the next layer beyond the plants when you introduce some of the livestock and the animals. Yeah. So people ask all the time, what about insects? We love insects. We have not had any insect problems. We've actually released beneficial insects. We've released uh, ladybugs and praying mantis and other insects here in the system. We're even releasing snakes into the system like black racers and other snakes because I've got four-year-old kids and dogs and stuff running around and I don't want to see any rattlesnakes around the house. So we release the snakes that eat those snakes. So in, you know, Bill Molson famously said, you don't have a snail problem. You have a duck deficiency. So we use nature to balance out nature. Yeah, very cool. It's like using food as medicine, right? Yeah. Here you're, you're combining these. It's basically this alchemy of using natural elements. Yeah. So, so, so you have these four uh, plants in the guild. And, and the animals, what do you have there right now? You, you release particular insects. Yep. Now, in Florida, many, many years ago, we got called by an organization which was having all these problems with oranges. I forget what it was. Was yeah, it particular? a blight. Yeah. Now, why does that occur there, Jim? And why will that not occur here? So I know it has to do with the poisons, the toxins that they use in the system. Everything stems from the toxins that they're spraying in our skies, in our soil, in our water, in our land, and especially the toxin of fear that they're injecting into the minds of the ignorant. Um, so, so that's my basic answer. And I don't have a deeper answer than that. Well, Jim, one of the things I've ta talked about is, you know, as above, so below. So in traditional medicines, they have the concept of the earth element. So in yeah. Chinese medicine, the earth element, you know, they have a five element theory relates to the stomach. Yeah. Um, we now know that 
our own earth element and you have the physical earth element where you, where you are right now, what you're standing on. But in human beings, we also have the earth element, which is the stomach, the gut. And when the gut is poisoned, right, and the, 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 the soil organisms in our own gut are poisoned, you start having all sorts of diseases and gut brain access. And I, from a system standpoint, when you destroy the soil, which is what a lot of these pesticides and all of these unnatural things like GMOs and genetically glyphosate do, you're perturbing the entire soil. Yeah. Um, and it goes, and then therefore the soil root loses its ability to have its natural defenders. And this is what happens to people. A lot yeah. of the people have immune, immune deficiencies. It really starts with the gut, the earth element. Yep. Oh. The, exactly right. The soil is a lot like the, almost exactly like the immune system. When we build healthy soil and the poisons come in, the, the soil eats out, eats up the poisons and shits out nutrients when it's yeah. healthy. But right. the more toxins, the more it's depleted, the more it loses its ability to function like the immune system. And so building soil is so important. So here's the thing. Take out the poisons. So I've created a campaign with bringing in all sorts of influencers that when we come together and we call out the corporations that are selling things like glyphosate, when we tell Home Depot, say, Home Depot, we've got an offer for you. We would like you to sell life instead of death. Now we're saying it that way, as you know, I've got a master's in neurolinguistics. We say it that way because the presupposition of that statement is very powerful. And so we'll help you sell compost tea and worm castings and things that provide life instead of the things that you're currently selling, like glyphosate. They've paid $11 billion in fines for harming and killing people and systems. So why don't you do this? When we call out all the corporations that are selling these poisons in that strategic way, the people will become aware. And then the people will choose to compost their fiat, right? Fiat is shit. It is going to hell. And so let's turn that fiat, which is that stored energy system, into life again. And every single fruit tree that I've purchased here has at least doubled in value in 12 months. Where else can we get that kind of ROI? So, Jim, where you are right here, what part of Florida are you in right now? We are in St. Cloud, Florida. Have you heard of the book Atlas Shrugged? Yeah, written by yeah. Ayn Rand. So, yeah. We're, yeah, we're at Gold's Landing in St. Uh -huh. Cloud, Florida. We're on a private 430-acre lake. We've got a mile-long paved runway to our east, and it's at the end of the road. And the intention of Galt's Landing is to bring in the world leaders who we love and respect to have meetings here about freedom. And so this is where it gets really tactical. Because of this system, we have inspired many millions of dollars worth of development with a company called New Energy World, and they're the ones that build the steel frame houses. And we're bringing together all of the components of a parallel economy to come together and demonstrate the solutions and then turn that fiat into the new economy. So I would love for you to come visit sometime soon. <laughs> yeah. So, 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 Jim, how many acres is there right now that you're on? We're on a long, skinny 51 acres. We've got about uh -huh. 3,000 feet of lake frontage on this private lake. And, and on, on those 51 acres, is all of it um, with these four elements in the guild and the, or, or is only a portion of it? What portion um, of it is right yeah, right now it's a portion of it, but it's going to be all of it. Like we literally just started two years ago, less than two years ago. Yeah, so what portion, is, what portion is right? The 10%, 20%, what portion? I would say 25% right now is fairly okay. well covered with permaculture design. So that's about 10, sorry, 10 acres? Yeah, acres? And, okay. yes, including a four acre pond that has um, seven different species of fish in it. And we use the water from the pond on a solar timer to fertigate, which means to fertilize and irrigate the food forest. Mm -hmm. And let me ask you, so the products that are produced on there, what happens now? Is there is it leased to someone to come get the fruits or what happens? Or, or is it just grow? Are people yeah, using so Yeah. Right now in this baby food forest, um, we have massive amounts of excess, but we're not to market yet, but we will be very soon. 
Um, we're just starting to be at the point now where we can feed everybody in the community everything they need to thrive. And very soon we'll have such excess that we're creating a school, by the way, on site, a school with 25 students that the students learn and practice permaculture along with the basics and the school makes money because the students manage the greenhouse and the students actually are going to be teaching the community how to create these systems. So it'll be the first self-funding school that I'm aware of model. And by the way, everything we do is open source. I have four daughters and it is our duty to, to do this because as you know, it's like time is of the essence. So we are open sourcing everything. Anybody can copy our model, but we found out that it's much better to collaborate rather than to compete. And like you said earlier, it's good versus evil. This is not a war between squabbling houses. This is a war between the living and the dead. So we're showing what the living can do, and then we're scaling it globally as fast as possible. So, Jim, what you have there, it, it's in a, a, a semi-tropical environment, right? Florida. Yeah, 9B. Now, right. So if someone wanted to, so, you know, I'm in a town called Belmont, Massachusetts. This was known as the number one. Uh, most number of greenhouses in the in the world. Um, every home here used wow. to have a greenhouse at some point. Yeah, and if you drive in, it says it, it's called the Tree City. It's it's very interesting. So when I was looking for homes here, every nearly every other home I saw had a greenhouse attached. Yeah. So this permaculture model, what is a minimum land, um, or in a from a let me show. Yep. Yeah. What is a minimum amount of land? Can this be executed in a, what's a minimal amount of land that can be done in a greenhouse? So, okay. Yeah. So you see that this circle here is about 20 feet in diameter. On yeah. this circle, you could have three primary fruit and nut trees, and you could have 30 or 40 different raspberries and blueberries and blackberries and Cuban oregano and basil and all sorts of other plants in this little what's the, area. What's the radius of that? What's the radius of that, Jim? This is a, a, about twenty to twenty-two feet in diameter. So twenty-two feet in diameter. So pi r squared is what uh, eleven times eleven, hundred twenty-one times let's say three. One twenty-one. Yeah. So about seven hundred fifty square feet. So That's three. Yeah. 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 There you go. And about seven hundred fifty square feet you can um grow fr three fruit and nut trees right yeah what else yep. jim um what else you could you have that so permaculture has layers so you've got the roots and yep. tubers layer which is sweet potatoes and turmeric and ginger and many more and then you've got the yep. herbaceous layer which is a lot of mushrooms and medicinals and then you've got the shorter shrubs and the taller shrubs so you could literally stack it from underground all the way up to the vining plants that go uh -huh. up the cool. overstory fruit trees, and you could have right. forty plant, forty different species there. And then, so that would generate fruits, nuts. You have your tubers, right? Your turmeric. Yeah. Um, so you got your medicinal plants. Um, now let's talk about. Um, let's say now, do you eat meat, Jim? Yes. What's your? So now, where in that seven hundred and fifty square feet? You're not talking about were there chickens there? Because part of permaculture is there farrowing and worms and all will that happen yeah. in that can you do that in that 750 square feet you can have two you can have two chickens in that area in a little chicken house and let them roam every day and those would produce you two eggs a day which is a lot of extra food right so you get two so you so that, that's your protein source if you don't yeah. kill the chickens <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> um and then what about goats jim um, we have about uh, 11 cows, two different species. We have four ducks. We have about 30 chickens. We have bees. We just got two new bee boxes today. We don't have goats yet, but we're going to get them eventually. Uh-huh. So that's in yeah. that 15 acres, right? Or the yeah. 10, 15 acres. Our okay. property is bordered by the cattle pasture. So the cattle pasture goes all along the edge of the property. Uh-huh. Yeah. So Jim, how many people can the current 15 acres feed? Not with meat protein, right? But with eggs and herbs and fruits. It can't really feed, let's keep the beef out of it. How many people okay. can it feed right now? So if you, yeah. Can we include the fish? Because the fish yeah, are- yeah, let's say, yeah, so you have fish. 
So from a yeah. protein first, fish, eggs, um, tubers, right? Yeah. Fruits, uh, honey, right? How many yeah. people can that feed from the 15 acres you have? If 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 we had to, if like an EMP hit tomorrow, we all got, you know, we had to eat right off here. We could feed 20 people every thing they need to thrive right even moringa this has more protein than an egg by weight in the leaves of this tree right so you could so you could feed so you could feed 20 people which is basically let's say like four families something like that could yes. live on that 15 acres right is that right so it's basically about five acres per family okay so, so yeah. right now this is a baby food forest if you, so there are many people who could, who are living on a quarter acre with a full family and they're feeding themselves everything they need on a quarter acre. Yeah. So what I'm saying is when you say it's a baby forest, it hasn't fully matured, right? Into its full right. scope. Right. So right. when it fully matures, Jim, how long does that take? Well, this, this year it's five times as big as it was 12 months ago in a lot of areas. So within another two years, you won't even be able to see from here to the forest over there. It'll just be a yeah. jungle of food. Right, right. So at that point, the density of food production will be much higher. You could feed, what, 10 times more people probably, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. Now, I, I do yeah. want to show, just share one other big point. We have about 47 million acres of lawn in the United States alone. Yeah. The lawn takes more poisons, more human resources. The lawn is the physical foundation of humanity's enslavement, right? It's insane. It's a strategy of control. So if anybody out there listening has a lawn, let's start putting food in that lawn. Sweet potatoes. I mean, one of the best preparedness crops that I know of is sweet potatoes. They, you can eat the leaves, the stems, and the tubers, and this is no maintenance. You just stick that stuff in the ground if you got decent soil, and it'll just produce massive amounts. And here's the kicker. It's also so easy to propagate because I talked about this with my team all the time. Food security is when our neighbors have food as well as us. If we're the only ones with food during the coming food supply chain collapse, then we're gonna have to have an army to protect our food. So instead, let's help everybody eat. So we propagate the easiest things to propagate and we give them or sell them to our community so that everybody's better off. So Jim, let's talk about the Northeast, okay? If you're, or let's talk about it in another model, okay? Obviously yeah. it's not one size fits all. If you're living in, let me take an extreme. If you're living in, in uh, among the Eskimos, okay? Right now, they're not going to be able to do this, right? Um, Correct. They're going to eat whale. You know, they're going to eat walrus or whale, or I mean, they're they're going to need these high fatty diets because of the environment yeah. they live in, right? Yeah, yeah. That's a different kind of quote unquote permaculture, right? If you're 100%. living, in, right. So I think this needs to be understood because when we talk about from a systems perspective, yeah. sometimes people broadly apply one size fits all everywhere, and and that needs to also be taken into account. Yeah, I use that exact analogy. Permaculture is a design science. So we start with what do you got, right? What are you starting with? If you're in the tundra and you yeah. have, you know, then your permaculture design is going to be to attract, to design the landscape in order to attract the food that you want to eat, right? Because you can't grow bananas in the tundra. Right? So you might plant several types of foods that the animals eat, and then you'd create storage methods, right? And by the way, the Eskimos already, they've always done this, as you know. So if somebody was going to move up there, the first thing they should bring is a permaculture handbook on what the Eskimos already do and just copy that structure. <laughs> yeah, like the Lappies in Finland, you know, they rely on berries. Um, very, they have a whole bunch of, you know, different berries. They rely on reindeer meat, right? They rely on a variety of different things. Now you take it to um, a desert, right? The people who are living, let's say, you know, in some parts of very, very arid cultures, they obviously are going to live on different things. Cacti, yep. right? Different kinds of things in that environment. So, Deserts are easier than the tundra from my uh, study. Yeah. Um, we could take a desert and over time we could turn it into a food forest jungle. 
It's the key is catching and storing water. And there's there's a lot of videos online like greening the deserts of Jordan where they've taken and dug in big swales. And it might only rain once every two years because the forests are what create the rain, right? Transpiration, a big tree in the jungle will transpire hundreds of gallons of water per day times millions of trees. So the trees create the rainforest in the forest or the rain in the forest. So we'd start by catching and storing water, sinking it, slowing it and spreading it. And then over time, after a few years, then you put your pioneering plants. The pioneering plants are key, right? Because they are hardy and they can handle the dryness better than the other plants. And then once you've got the system established, then you add your more sensitive plants because now there's an ecosystem created. Jim, let me ask you something. There have been people who've been promoting these sort of greenhouse solutions, right? I don't know if you've seen this where you buy a greenhouse, they give you everything to grow in it. Um, is there a concept out there? And I know I, I, I've seen two aspects of this. One is I saw in Arizona people promoting this thing called fast track farming. It's basically in a much more artificial type environment with, you know, UV lights, you know, and stuff like this there, you know, it's what the pot guys do, right? Yeah. Uh, some people are saying you take that same model and you use it to grow certain types of plants. It's much more, it's not a permaculture model. It's a reductionist model where you produce a lot of, let's say some, herb, you know, herbaceous plant or let's say alfalfa or things like that. So yeah. that's one thing I've been seeing, which is to, you know, and those people claim that this is what we need to do to stop the food security, da, da, da. The other model is you have these greenhouse sort of permaculture in a box. I don't know if you've seen this. So um, that, and the third one, and we'll come back to this. So we're in the Northeast, right? It's not, you know, we have the four seasons here. Um, yeah. You know, I have a lawn, let's say about an acre, right? Um, yeah. So, you know, in, in the US you have, you know, the very, very, sort of tropical cultures where you are, you know, you have some arid places in Arizona, right? Deserts. And then you have the Northern part, like in the Midwest, right? Which gets very cold. Yeah. Um, if we, so on the first two things, what do you think about these fast track farming where they're basically putting these UV lights and they feed them with nutrients and it's gonna grow one kind of plant and they claim, and their strategy is they're saying, okay, the farm animals don't have enough food. So we're gonna just grow tons of alfalfa non-gmo organic so we can feed them yeah um that's one claim so have you i don't know so, if you've heard about this what do you think so about that not only have i heard about it yeah. i've you know most of my life i was pretty ignorant um so i i started a mortgage company i did 1.3 billion dollars in gross revenue in three and a half years from scratch i bought a boat lived on the ocean for a year i then moved to Costa Rica, I had my first two daughters and I learned permaculture and I red pilled all at the same time. And in my Costa mind, Rica, right? in Costa Rica, and my yeah, mind, Michelle, Michelle my what? partner, that's where she learned about permaculture. And there's been some of the best books that have come out of there. Okay. So yes. that was your first place. Go ahead. Continue. Yeah. So what happened is when I learned what was going on in the world, I had a lot of time. So I was 12 hours a day down every conspiracy theory rabbit hole. And, and I was obsessed with it in an unhealthy kind of way because it blew my mind. And I recognized for the sake of my daughters that I had to use, you know, the, the, the uh, Napoleon Hill quote, whatever the mind of man can conceive and believe, it can achieve. That stuck with me in a deep way. And then the Tesla thing, if you wanna find the secrets of the universe, think in terms of energy, frequency, and vibration. And except for the word think is misplaced. Don't think, but feel, right? So anyway, all these things started coming to me and I started creating these fancy greenhouses. I was looking for a way around the system and I realized it's all bullshit. The way we change the world is by following nature's design or God's design and we build soil. Now, I do love greenhouses. Greenhouses are fantastic, but they're not the answer. They're a, a part of the answer. I would say they're 10 to 20% at the most of the answer. The answer, the big answer, is to build soil and to put these guilds in the ground of diversity and to build life into every system. Right, so let's take the Northeast, right? We're up in, in Massachusetts here, right? We have four yeah. seasons. Yeah. Um, 
so walk us through what you would do in a lawn of you know one acre knowing that you're going to get winter you're going to get the fall you're going to get spring so obviously what you would do in massachusetts or new england or minnesota is a little bit different than what you do in florida so walk us yeah. through what you would do there yeah so we would follow we'd first say what agricultural zone are you in and then what microclimates might be present due to certain factors like lakes and ponds and maybe a rock face or something and then we would design the land according first of all to what zone is it in because there are thousands of edible plants most of which most people have no clue about or never heard about in every zone. In fact, my buddy in northern Minnesota has 300 different species of edible plants and his food forest is five years old. It makes this one look like a baby. And uh -huh. there's so much excess food that comes in July, August, September, and October that that's how it works in those areas. It's like an explosion of life and then yeah. it goes dormant. And then it explodes again. So, but, but when he produces that food in October, th then you said that's where he does the preservation during the exactly. wintertime. Right. Yes. And then yep. come spring, he the things come back on their own. Exactly. Yes. I see. Okay. Got it. It's beautiful. All right. That's pretty so cool. Just, so, yeah. you figure out the nature of your particular zone and then you, you support that nature with yeah. the right plants to and, and the nature takes care of itself and you feed the soil that's right and okay. again cool. i love to drive this point home because it's so profound this is way less maintenance than a lawn and i think it's infinitely more beautiful plus it represents freedom for humanity well you know what's interesting jim i you know when i when i was uh jesus 18 19 20 i bought my first home and i would just let the lawn go crazy and my neighbors would get so upset and you had all these beautiful animals, everything would show up. The place that I live now, it's a very interesting community. It's, um, there were two guys, a guy called Walter Gropius, you may know about him, and another guy called Carl Koch. These guys came out of the Bauhaus movement, which is about living in nature. And they yeah. built these seven homes here. They look like sort of like the Frank Lloyd Wright homes, but nice. you know, and the goal was to live in, sustainability with nature so the homes here had cork floors right everything was yeah. uh, and the homes were built in um with the natural elements that was the idea so we now over the years the people that have moved here are sort of your neoliberals who like to live here but they don't and so there's a big open space here probably about 10 acres wow and the goal is we should just be growing stuff there so it's interesting these neoliberals talk about diversity and talk about sustainability but they do not want that 10 acres to be used, which we could probably grow enough food for all of us. And that's, part of, you see what I'm saying? So part of this is, this is where the politics comes in, where you have people talking a game, but then when, when the rubber meets the road and you want to actually implement their game locally, it you hit this dichotomy with what they say and what they actually want to do. Yeah. And I think this is, this is a very interesting phenomenon that we see. So these people support like a permaculture farm for some poor people in Africa, but in their own backyard, they will not do it. And <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I they, do. <laughs> this is what I cite. This is what I find so fucking ridiculous because we <laughs> have people right here who are your typical hippie liberals, but yeah. they will not. If you go to them and say, hey, why don't we take our five acres here and do permaculture? What are you talking about? And they, and they yeah. will make sure that's manicured. People are putting, round up on it, all this crap. You see what I'm saying? But I they, do. at the same time, will be talking about Costa Rican permaculture. Yeah, I know. So, you know what I'm saying, man? So this is where we I find- We call their asses out. We, no, this we is do. how we do it. So yeah. everybody, this is what I recognize. Everybody can be inspired. And when somebody gets inspired, they cannot not do this, right? In fact, we just got a TV show funded, thanks to my partner, Marcel. And it's to the tune of, you know, millions of dollars. And it's going to be called probably Backyard Bounty or something. And it's going to be closing the loop. And maybe we can do a TV show in your yard. We can start the design process and we can show you, show the world that you're actually doing it on every level that you become aware of to the max because, well, that's, that's it. Yeah. So one thing I want to show you, Tim, uh, Jim, 
this is interesting. Okay. So in, um, I think there's some interesting things we could do here. So in yeah. traditional systems of agriculture and medicine, let's say in the human body, in the ancient system of Ayurvedic or Siddha medicine, yeah. they had a way of looking at you because you too are an ecosystem and they had a way of characterizing your ecosystem. So obviously if you're an Eskimo, you have a very different who you are versus if you're someone, a Maasai warrior versus someone is living in, in Florida, right? And so they would look at you, they would understand your constitution and the environment which you were living in. And then they would figure out what were the right inputs for you, the right food, the right exercise, the right things for you. Yeah. That same systems approach, you could also apply to the land, which yeah. is for this type of land, what are the right inputs for that? And what are the right outputs? You follow? So That's I want to show you something. So in when I finished my PhD in systems biology, I was very fascinated by this because my grandmother was a traditional healer, as I've yeah. shared before. And my grandparents were you know, farmers who practice all of these things you call regenerative farming and all that. Yeah. But what I, I what I realized was that the engineering systems principles, which govern systems, there's about nine of them, they actually matched one to one with these ancient principles. Okay. Wow. And um, so I I wrote a paper on this because I was fast because the Western world looks at these traditional systems of ways of looking at the world and they poo-poo them, right? Because they basically say, oh, these people were just tribals, you know, what do they know? They're just you know, pagans and all this really, really <laughs> negative stuff that's been done to, uh, in fact, these people were ancient scientists in many ways. Yeah. So what ended up happening, Jim, was I took that, the essentially that discovery that I made, and I yeah. used to teach a course on it, okay, which really integrated traditional systems of medicine with engineering system science. And I'll, I'll give you sort of the short version of it. Okay. Um, so what that resulted in, I think you'll be able to see this on your screen, what that resulted in was this very profound um, but scientific way of understanding, um, integrating these two worlds, okay? So I, I'll send you a copy of this and everyone, um, uh, everyone has access to it, you know, um, on our uh, Truth, Freedom and Health platform. So I don't know if you can see this. So I wrote this in an engineering systems journal, Jim. You yeah. know, it's, you see it's called the Systems of Systems Engineering. And basically, this article um, go, goes through what are these traditional systems of medicine, okay? Wow. All right? Uh, what is modern system biology? And it integrates it together. And I'll just take you to the punchline. And it gives the reader an ability to see that the ancient stuff talks about this is a key thing here, okay? Yeah. So the, these on the left column in table six here, Jim, you see these. These are the nine principles of every system in the universe, input, output, movement, right? Of information, matter, and energy, like in a farm, it's the wind, the conversion processes, right? How things yeah. grow, how the soil converts things, the storage, right? That's what a fruit is, right? A fruit or a potato, they store nutrients, right? Yeah. The goal, the controller, the sensor. Now, what I discovered was these ancient, these, this is what you learn at MIT. These match one-to-one -one with the words that they use in traditional systems of medicine, okay? Yeah. All right, so when my grandmother looked at you, she would look. She would say, oh, you have this much vatha, pitta, and kapha, right? And she mm -hmm. would figure out what was right for you. Karma really means input, karma, fall. Fall is, really means fruit, the fruit of that input, you see? Yes. This framework you can use for understanding any system. And so what ended up happening was I built a tool which we um, give to all of our people go through our program, but it's called be happy, be you. But it, it's a simple word, but you can answer a set of questions, Jim, and it figures out what kind of system you are. Wow. Okay. Yep. Within this framework. Then you answer a different set of questions and it figures out how your system's off course and it'll calculate for you what are the right foods. Because a lot of people are lost touch with their intuition. Okay. Yeah. What are the right exercise, et cetera. Now, what I've wanted to do was to do the same for agriculture. You see, you yes. look, at, you look at a particular soil. I'm living in the Northeast. It'll calculate what kind of system that is, what kind of how that system's off course, right? You have a lawn and you've been putting all these poisons in, and what you need to do to bring it back on course. All right. So there's there's an interesting thing that we can do here because if we do this right. There's because I think part of what we did with that was to democratize all this ancient systems of knowledge. 
because what they did was you have to go to India or you have to go to these gurus, you know, and then they charge you a bunch of money and you have to bow up their feet. They make it very, very destructive to the average individual. So I've seen permaculture for the last Jesus since 1990, you know, yeah. have a lot. But what's happened is it hasn't scaled for some reason. Right. You go to Costa Rica or you go somewhere, people learn it. And it's always remained in sort of a, a finite set of people. And I think there's a way to scale this. And, you know, my running for president was really about bringing solutions and democratizing this. So we should talk about it offline. I have some thoughts on how we could take what you're doing, some of these systems approaches and bringing them together. So you essentially help people crank it much faster. You say? Yeah. Yes. Um, open source. Yeah. That's exactly right. That is what I've been focused on, taking the same scale like I created in the mortgage company and doing the same scale here. And we've just proved, like literally over the last couple of months, now we've created such a business model that has created such incredible energy that now we've got food forests going in all the communities around here because of this. So this became and is a seed of infinite exponential abundance that is now creating all these other seeds of abundance, which is creating more seeds of abundance. And we're going to change the world. That's awesome. So I love your thinking. I love systems. Everything you talk about, the system stuff is exactly. So the answer is a big yes. Yeah. So, Jim, let's do a follow up on this. But I think okay. two opportunities we have is yeah. physically something. Because think about this, Massachusetts. Yeah, it's sort of the belly of the beast. Yeah, and you have the center of Harvard, MIT, all these organizations yeah. which talk a big game. It's your typical yeah. center of the neoliberal elite. They yeah. talk all this stuff. Yeah. They sort of make it a very bougie thing to go to Costa Rica and learn this. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. But they will not do it in their own backyard. So one area is to do it right here. The other area is to you know I know people in New York are doing these farms you know on top of rooftops. Okay. Yeah. And but in t the concept of doing on lawns makes sense. The other thing is I also have an opportunity we should pursue halfway around the world in India. Yes. We can do in in a place called Chennai in South India. OK, yeah. there's about 40 acres we should talk about there because Let's India actually is at this very interesting inflection point. India actually has all these infrastructure set up, but the Western influence could make them go in this wackadoodle way to go do big ag. You yeah. say, and that'll, that to me, that's going to destroy the country. They yeah. won't be able to do it. So yeah. there's an opportunity to do this stuff in some of these countries where they haven't, they're at that inflection point where they can go in that direction or they can go into the darkness. Yeah. And so doing this in places like that, I think can set models um, because India has 1.6 billion people, 300 to 400 million people in India are middle class. Yep. And there's a growing awareness that they do not want these ancient systems destroyed, yeah. but they're under massive pressure, you see, to yeah. destroy these ancient systems. Yep. So I'm saying that culturally, they already have the momentum to do the right thing, but they're also under this huge force yes. to do the wrong thing because there's so much money behind it. That, that, that's it. So when we put up demonstration sites and then invite people, I do tours all the time here. And when we invite people to take a tour, they will leave a changed person. It will literally change their life. And then when we, when we demonstrate that it's in their best interest, and by the way, I just want to throw out the whole climate change bullshit narrative. This solves that fake narrative. If that narrative were real, this would be the solution to that narrative. So it's a good thing to throw in their face to say, oh, really? Well, why don't we sequester carbon by putting more fruit trees in the ground, which also takes the food supply chain from 1,500 miles to your backyard, right? And all that. So anyway, so the answer is a big yes, I'm in. Let's Well, the, the big thing is that climate change stuff, as you know, is just garbage. Yeah. It's, it's really promoted to centralize energy production. Yes. Um, that's what it's really about. So we don't decentralize it, you know, energy production. And, and to create the carbon up. economy, it's bullshit. Right, but you can really control people because they want to have the carbon tax connected to your cell phone, connected to centralized digital bank currencies. And again, this is another thing Booby Effing Kennedy promoted. During he promoted the lockdowns, he promote yep. he said they were good because they supported climate change. So I think the big thing, Jim, is to recognize that 
we know what needs to be done. The biggest thing stopping it is not the obvious establishment, but the not so obvious establishment of the neoliberals where I live, people like Kennedy, people like Hillary Clinton, these people who claim they want to do it. They actually take these ideas, they talk about it, but nothing ever happens. And, and my view is the only way that we're going to be able to scale the deployment of these is through, you know, where the solutions become accessible to large numbers of people in an easy way and becomes yeah. part of a movement. It has to be yeah. both a political movement, a food movement, a health movement, all of it. But without that, it's only going to be isolated and people will have their martinis and they'll come to these things and they'll talk about it and they'll write about it, but it's never going to scale. So in order to scale it, you need a very powerful bottoms up movement. So I couldn't agree more. And yeah. I'm happy to say that it is scaling now just in the last, I would say, two, two, three quarters. It's now scaling exponentially and with your help and with some other um, which will bring in these key influencers and strategists. And this is the idea whose time has come stronger than all of the armies of the world. It's unstoppable and it's nature. It's so yeah, it's so much fun, too. <laughs> That's great, Jim. So let's do a follow up. I think you have my okay. phone number and all. Let's do a follow up. But it would be yeah. uh, let's do a follow up. I have some thoughts on it. But anyway, Jim, thank you. Um, Thank I'm you, glad, Dr. I'm glad Todd and Mike connected us. Um, Me too. But I'm glad you're also, you know, Moringa is a great, great plant, you know? It's, a, it's yep. an incredible plant. I'm glad you have it there. And to the people who don't know about it, everyone should study it. Thanks, Jim. Awesome. Be well, be the light. Thank you. You too. You well. Thanks. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. Yep. Let me bring here.